0: Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. Whether it's with someone close to you or someone you just met, sharing your faith can be difficult, but our God knows the challenge and His Word contains wisdom for how to meet that challenge. In our current series, Living an Intentional Life, we're learning about the five eyes of evangelism. Identify, invest, intercede, inform, and invite. These five steps will help you to build a biblical strategy for bringing the gospel to others and watching for God to multiply your efforts. We're glad you're listening and we hope this series will renew your commitment to spread the good news. Now let's listen in. Good morning church my
1: name is Jacob. I get the honor of being the discipleship pastor at Rolling Hills and I love when I'm able I'm able to come to the Nolansville campus and you know Pastor Jason asked me he's like hey will you you preach with for me while I'm gone? And I was like, oh, yeah, where are you going? He was like, I'm going to Israel to be a part of the leadership team for the uh, biblical studies tour. And I was like, hey, I can do you one better. I'll go to Israel, and you continue to preach. And here I am. Um, no, but be praying for him. It'll be an awesome trip. I know it's going to be a life-changing trip. I hope to... Uh, be a part of it one day, but it, I'm really excited to be here today because this this topic is something I'm really passionate about, and I'm going to try to be as clear and concise as I can this morning because I think it's such an important um, topic. And a, a, as we jump in today, you know, we've been walking through the second week of this uh, Living an Intentional Life series, which comes down to five eyes. Last week we talked about identify, today we're talking about investing, next week is interceding, and then it's informing, and then it's inviting. And as we, we talk about investing today, I want to tell you a little bit of my story, because I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My, my exposure to the gospel really came in my early teens with a friend of mine who did grow up in a Christian home, and we were there in Jackson, Mississippi. It was nighttime. We were hanging out at this play, elementary school at the playground, just kind of hanging out. That's what teenagers do, you know, if I remember correctly. And when we were there, he, he, he says to me, he was like, man, I don't, I don't think we can be friends anymore. And I was like, what are you talking about, man? You're my, you're my best friend. And he was like, well, the Bible says if your right hand keeps sinning, you have to cut it off. Now, remember, I don't, have any, I don't know the, anything about the Bible. I'm like, dude, are you about to cut my hands off right now? I'm not sure what's about to happen. He was like, no, no, no. It, it just means that uh, unless you become a Christian, I can't be your friend anymore. And I was like, man, well, I, don't, I don't want that to happen. And I was like, well, what, what, what do I need to do? Now, he goes, he proceeds to share the gospel with me that our sin has separated us from god and he sent his son jesus to die on the cross for us to forgive us of our sin and i'm like okay that's that's great so i get down on my knees and i and i pray a prayer that night now i don't think that's the best way to share the gospel the way he did it uh however he did it and he was faithful And he was obedient, and his heart was right behind it. He just didn't articulate it well. And one thing I want us to see right off the bat is the truth of the gospel does not weigh on our ability to articulate it. It is true whether we can articulate it well or not. Because God is the one who saves. It is not us. But we are called to be obedient and faithful in sharing. So I say that to where he verbally shared the gospel with me that day. And honestly, it took a decade for it to take hold in my life. It took over 10 years before I truly became a follower of Christ. But what he did that day was plant a seed of the gospel in my heart. But even more than that is he shared the gospel with me verbally that day. After that, his family showed me the gospel. Because his family invested in me in such a way that they welcomed me into their home as basically as a son. He welco- they welcomed me to their dinner table. He welco- they welcomed me on trips. They basically brought me in as part of their family and invested in me. And I was over there all the time, even to the point as a, as a grown man now, I'm probably thinking they were like, is this guy ever going to leave our house? But they didn't think about it. They lived the gospel and invested in my life to where I know for a fact that I would not be here today doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for that family investing in me. Because it wasn't until my mid-20s to where I truly fell to my knees in the midst of depression and anxiety and every sin you could name of, that I fell to my knees and I truly met Jesus for the first time. The one I prayed to in the playground, I truly met him for the first time because of that gospel seed invested in my life, and I'm truly grateful for them doing that, and I say that to start today to let you know that every one of us has a Jacob in their life. You may know them or not, whether it be a student or another adult. We all have someone in our life that God has placed there for us to have the intention of investing in them for the kingdom and for the gospel. So as we study this passage today, what I want you to do, and I pray, I've been praying all night in this morning that God would awaken our hearts that desire to invest in some way the way that family invested in me. And I pray that he will reveal that to you this morning. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, in verse 15. You really can turn there, and we're going to stay there the majority of the time. We're going to pick it apart piece by piece and mine it for all the goodness that God uh, put in there. So this is what the Word of God says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this in gentleness and respect. Let me give you a little context of this passage so we can truly understand what Peter is trying to tell us here. As he was writing this to the early church, they were facing all sorts of pressure. Earlier in 1 Peter, he explains to him that we need to see it as we are strangers in the world. We are exiles here on earth, that this place is not our home. And if it feels often like we're misplaced and our voice is pushed to the side and that it feels different, it's because we are. We have been set apart. We've been sanctified to a different kingdom, a kingdom yet to come. So he's been prefacing this because the church is facing all sorts of sorts of persecution, physical And verbal persecution. So he's he's explaining this to them. And then he gets to the point of, here, this is how you respond to this type of persecution, church. Here's how you respond. And he says, but revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. And give the reason for the hope that you have. And do this with gentleness and respect. So Peter's counsel to the early church is this passage that we're reading today. That we should, first of all, revere Christ as Lord. So, as in your notes, you'll see that we've broken this down to this first part of revere Christ as Lord. That he says to us, the first thing we should do is prepare our own hearts. Or your translation may say, honor Christ as Lord. That the first place for us to begin to share about the gospel is with our own personal discipleship. That as we grow in Christ's likeness, the Desire to share the gospel to a culture that is, that is counter to everything that we have to say, that is antithetical to the gospel, that it all starts with our personal discipleship. Because it's, it is very easy to go to a place to where you hear a, a series like this, and you're like, "I've got to share the gospel. I've got to share the gospel." That's not the heart behind the gospel. The heart behind the gospel is God is changing us and transforming our heart in such a way when we spend time with Him that we cannot help but get to a place where I don't have to share the gospel. We see it as I get to share the gospel. That it's taken hold of our heart in such a way in this reverence and awe and honor that it overflows out of our heart. Scripture teaches that what's in our heart overflows out. That what's in our heart overflows out because at the end of the day, it's easy to say, okay, I need to be prepared, as this verse has said, I need to be able to win arguments, but that's missing the point altogether. Sharing the gospel with people is not about winning arguments. It's about winning hearts. And Peter is starting with our own heart. The first heart to be won and fully taken over in captivity to Christ is our own heart. Because at the end of the day, when we think about apologetics and evangelism, we are all apologists and evangelists. In fact, the whole world are apologists and evangelists. The question is, of what? We're all trying to convince people of something, whether it be about ourselves, or we're trying to convince the world about who we are, who we desire to be. And that could be selfish that we're trying to promote ourselves. I mean, we live in a world of self promotion all over the place. Are we apologists of self? Or it could be something as simple as we're evangelists of our favorite TV show to where we're like, hey, have you seen this show? It's so good. This is why it's so good. This is why you should push past the first season, because in season two, it gets even better because of this. And we talk in such an educated way, an informed way, because it is something we're passionate about, and we are being apologists and evangelists to that thing, or the the latest podcast, or your favorite sports team. This is why my sports team is awesome, because of this, this, and this. And we can articulate it in such a way that we can convince others to say, you know what, maybe they are good, or like me, I can convince you how bad my team is because I'm a Mississippi State fan. So. Um, it's a different type of uh, apology. It's like, I'm sorry you had to watch that. But but here's the thing. At the end of the day, we talk about what we care about. We talk about what we care about, the things we truly care about is what overflows out of our hearts and what scripture is telling us that to be able to share the gospel in a natural way that flows out of who we are starts with our own personal discipleship and our reverence of the Lord and it overflowing out of us as he transforms us into his likeness because when Christ saw people that were lost it says he was overwhelmed with compassion, that he was driven by this compassion of the spirit towards others. And that's what scripture is calling us to this reverence of the Lord, that our words would be seasoned so that when it overflows, it comes to ears that desperately need to hear. it. But I want to give you a caveat here from first John. It says, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now, it's easy to see this verse and say, let's not love with just speech, let's do actions, but that's not what it says. It says, let's not love with words and speech, but actions in truth, that they are tied together, that they are married to each other, that we live out what we believe, that it should be one in the same. And look, if you look at the next part of this verse, in we revere Christ as Lord, then it says, always be prepared to give an answer, that we should always be prepared to give an answer. Like I said earlier, when we're talking about a show or a movie that we like, when somebody comes to you, hey, why should I watch the show? We are, boom, ready to go, ready to give an answer. This is why it's good. This is why it's bad or whatever. We're always prepared to give an answer for that thing that we care about. What Peter is telling us is that when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to uh, the, the salvation that we found, that we should always be prepared to give an answer, or your translation may say, be prepared to give a defense. So when we, when we, I'm going to stop for a second because when we talk about sharing the gospel, we, I've already used the, these two words twice. I want us to give a good definition for them. One of them is evangelism and one of them is apologetics. And what's the difference between the two? So we're going to start here and say evangelism is the sharing of the good news that addresses the needs and desires of those who know they're in a bad situation. So evangelism is the actual sharing of the good news verbally or in story form, presenting the gospel. I was evangelized, the gospel, the good news was shared to me on that playground that night. That was evangelism. But here's the thing, as we grow in likeness in our personal discipleship, we realize everyone is not at a place where they are ready to hear the gospel as we are, what I believe the best method of evangelism is a relational evangelism that we'll talk about today, that we're living with people in such a way that we begin to discern through the Holy Spirit when people are ready to receive the gospel, that God's working on their hearts where they realize and they are in need of this good news. Now, you can share the good news with somebody and it plants a seed and they come to faith later, but there are places that are hinge points that are greater opportunity for the gospel to take hold in their life because oftentimes if we share the gospel with somebody who's completely antithetical to it it is like water hitting rock but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't share it it means we should discern and have relationships with people when we know they're ready to hear the good news because the other side of that is apologetics and apologetics is pre-evangelism, what takes place before evangelism, in that it addresses those who do not realize they are in a bad situation and therefore do not see the gospel as the good news that it is. This word apologetics is where this word answer that it gives in this, are we prepared to give an answer, give a defense, give an apologetic. Is what it's what this is telling to be ready for, to, be, uh, to understand what we believe. But this is what I want to challenge us really quick, that if someone came in this door right now, who has never heard the gospel and comes in and stops us and says, someone explain the gospel to me. Do you think you're at a place in your preparation where you can just walk up to him and share the gospel with him? Are you at that place? It's not for you to share. It's not for me to know. It's to challenge myself. Am I even prepared to share the gospel in that way? Because Peter says we should always be prepared for that moment that if we can clearly communicate the gospel. So the first question is, do we know what we believe? Are we a place in our personal discipleship where we understand, we may have taken hold of the gospel, But have we taken that next step to understand and learn and learn how to clearly communicate that? And we're going to talk about that later in the series to where we all get on the same page with, hey, here's a simple, easy way to communicate the gospel. Um, But I really believe it should be built into our life because one of the most powerful combinations of this apologetic and evangelism is a transformed life. And I think the best way to get the gospel across is for those two things to be combined in the way that is, is in a transformed life to where, as this verse says, we're prepared to give an answer. But we also know the answer in our own hearts by knowing our own story to know how our life has been transformed. That is our testimony our testimony to God's goodness, our testimony to how we have been saved. I gave a portion of my testimony just a second ago. We'd be here for like three weeks if I really got into it. But it's a portion of our testimony, our story of how God has worked in our life. In my community group, we have, over the past year, have taken turns sharing our testimony to each other, going around the room, taking 15 minutes at the beginning of the group and everyone going around and sharing their testimony. And for some of us, in the room, it was the first time they had ever even thought about or shared their testimony publicly with people. Many times, when we're prepared to give an answer, our answer should be the story of how God has worked in our life. But the goal of us sharing our testimony is a, is a couple of different things. If you've never even thought about sharing your story before, I encourage you to just go write it down. Or share it with a friend and say, hey, can I just try to articulate this to you? Because this is a couple of things that you'll find. You'll, you'll begin to see places that God has worked in your life that you never really realized. until you stopped and reflected on God's power in your life. So you'll see some places where, man, I didn't even realize this had happened. And this has uh, molded me in this way. And now I can take a next step in my personal discipleship because of realizing that. Of getting to a place of sharing their testimony. By God's grace of walking through this in my community group. In two weeks, we're about to baptize the fourth person from my community group. Praise God! Because as we were sharing the tongues, well, you know what? I've never really taken that next step of faith. But from that, as well as we finish and we moved into this series, now that we've shared our story with each other, now we're, we've written down the names of the people we've identified in our life, so we can eventually share our story with them. So I would say know your story, but don't just stop there. Live your story. Your story should be living in such a way that it gives us to the next part of this where it says live in such a way where people see your life is different. You see a transformed life. Because if you were to go to people that knew me between 14 and 24 and saw me now, they would see a grand difference in my life because I was so lost when I became a believer. I was so lost. I was living everything that you could possibly think of that is the opposite of being a follower of Christ. I wasn't about the kingdom of God. I was about the kingdom of self. And everything I did was decisions for my personal pleasure and desires and the things I wanted as Jacob being the king of my own life. But God reached down and redeemed my life from the pit and transformed me to where even uh, early in my ministry, I was here. I was in Franklin, and I was counseling this couple, um, premarital counseling, and this girl walks by and she's like, "Jacob scripture? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, it's me, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh goodness, who is this? And she was like, it's me from Jackson, Mississippi, where I grew up. And I was like, awesome. And she was like, what are you doing? I was like, I realized who it was. I was like, oh, I'm counseling this couple. And she was like, why? And I was like, I was like, cause I'm a pastor. And she said, you're a what? Um, but she, she knew a different version of me, and she couldn't even believe that I was a pastor, much less a follower of Christ. And when we have a life that is given to the cross and given to transformation, people should be able to see a difference in us. Not just the way we carry ourselves, but the way we treat others. And I love this quote from Leslie Newbegin, who's a cultural commentary uh, guy. He says, Live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the answer. I love that because... Why, why, are you, why are you here right now when I need you? Why are you caring for me in such a way? You live in such a way that the gospel is the answer. So how do, we're preparing to share the gospel, but who are we sharing the gospel with? The next one, it says, revere Christ as Lord. Be prepared to give an answer. To who? It says, everyone who asks you. Everyone who asks you. When you think about it for a second, I want to get really practical for a second about where we are in our life. And I'll share this quote with you. I love this quote. God never gets the address wrong. God never gets the address wrong. What that means is that before the beginning of time, God wanted you to be where you are for a reason. That you live at blank because God put you there. Not on accident, but he put you there for a purpose as a missionary, as a light of the gospel, that he placed us in such a way that he is sovereign over evangelism. He is the one to save, but he's also sovereign over our locale. He is sovereign over where we live. I want you to think about this for a second. If you pull up this next slide, this is is you where you live. This could be your house. It could be an apartment complex, that God placed you there as a gospel missionary. That it's very possible that the people around you may never be exposed to the gospel if not for you to share it. Now, that's a convicting thought that, like, if you may be the only ex um, being exposed to the gospel is through you. Um, I've, I've done m- many missionary trips, and I've gone to... Villages in uh, overseas where they literally have never even heard the name of Jesus. They have no exposure to the gospel at all, and we went and, and shared the gospel with them. They've never even heard this good news. And um, and I remember someone asking, "Hey, why why don't you? What about the lost people here?" It was like, "Well, these people have no exposure to the gospel at all. The people here have us." I mean, we, we don't want to go past Samaria and Jerusalem to get to the ends of the earth without saving everyone. But the idea is, like, they have exposure to the gospel. They have you. Your neighbors have you. So think about this for a second. If you think about the people around you, you have this in your notes. And this is just a challenge for a second. One being, can you name the people that live around you? So you have that one on there. I want you to do it. Write it down. Name the people that live in front of you and beside you. So you think about, okay, that's Bill on the left, that's John on the right. So now here's the thing. It may be that you can't name all the people around you. And here's, this is the truth. So sharing the gospel with people is more than knowing people's name. But it's 100%, not less that our first step of getting to know and investing in those around you is taking the time to know the people around you. And I'll just challenge you, if you, if, you don't ha- if you don't know the name of somebody who lives beside you, that is your next step. That's your practical next step when you live here, when you leave here is to, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna get their name. Even if you have to go with your hat in your hand and say, you know what, I, I, you see them outside cutting the grass or whatever, and you're like, I've been a bad neighbor. I don't even really know your name. It was taking that first step of saying, I'm going to invest in these people around them by at least knowing their name. And number two, what do you know about them? Let's say you got all the names. You know all their names. It's great. What is something else that you know about them? What do you know about their life? Have you taken time to invest and ask questions about who they are? Outside of they drive a red car or that they get into their garage really fast when they get home. What do you know about them? How have you invested and said, you know what, I want to know about you. So at number two, what, what can you write down on that number two for those three people around you and say, this is what I, this is what I know about them. I know uh, they have three kids. They work at this place. Or they've lived in this neighborhood for ten. years. Whatever you know, you're just you're trying to basically test yourself of, of all the people around you. Have you been investigating? And number three is this. What is their spiritual state? Do you know where they are on their spiritual journey? Because if you don't know where people are, you, can, you don't know where you're going to take them. So my challenge is to you, if you had any trouble with any of those three, your, your challenge is I'm going to take that next step in investing in my neighbors in such a way. I'm going to take my, my missionary call to where I live seriously. Because you could even do this, you could say, forget the house, this is where you work. These are the people whose desk are around you. Can you do the same thing with there? hopefully you know the names of the people you work with. But if you don't, You don't know anything about them. What if God puts you? Because I I meet with people all the time. It's like, I want to quit my job because I, I want a kingdom purpose in my job. Brothers and sisters, everywhere we work, there is a kingdom purpose. Just for us to put it at the forefront of your mind to say, I am here for a kingdom reason. Or even you could say uh, your community, this could be the Walgreens you always go to. Do you know that person's name? Do you know if they check you out over and over and over? God may be putting you in their path for a reason. Or for me, the majority of if I'm not at church or in my house, I'm probably at the baseball field. So if you're looking for me, that's where you could probably find me. I'm either coaching or parenting in some way. I have four kids. I have a nine-year-old, seven-year-old, and a five-year-old son. They all play baseball. So we were there pretty much all day yesterday but I'm also exposed to more people and more diverse kind of people there than I am even in my ministry job to where some of my greatest fruitfulness in ministry comes from my time of being with people and just being Jacob, the follower of Christ at the baseball fields. Because I truly believe that God has put me there in these people's life for a reason. I'm not walking around going, do you know Jesus Christ is your personal savior? Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal savior? But if it ever got to that moment, I wanna be prepared and ready. Instead, I'm just loving them the way that I hope Jesus would love them. So you think about this. If this is true. I just met with um, pastors in Miami this past week. they are church planters, eight different church planters in the South Florida area, and every one of them is like getting ready to launch or just launch trying to reach um, a, a neighborhood. I want you to think about this second. If your house was a church instead, would it change the way you saw the people around you? Would it change the way you tried to reach out? And minister to those people. It probably would. But I would argue that a loose definition of the church is where the gathering of the people of God are. So your house is a church in this instance. And I truly believe this as well. That you inviting your, there's a reason why invite is at the end of this series. Because I truly believe a better gospel step is not to invite them to church but invite them into your home to invite people into your home, to see your home as the front door of the gospel, to invite them into your life. Because this is, I this is 100% believe this. If you don't like the world, if you're like, I wish the world was different, you feel this angst of the world being different, I, I'm just going to tell you, that kind of change doesn't start in Washington. It doesn't start high up and come down low. It starts low and goes down up to where we invest in our neighbor. You want to change the world? Start with our homes And how we lead our families and how we welcome those around. Do you want to change the world? Change it in the small and let the small transform the big. That's what I believe the gospel tells us from the beginning to the end. To invest in the people around us and let the change happen in our hearts and to our families and to the people around us. But at the end of the day, we don't see people as projects. We see them as neighbors. We're not looking around, writing their names down because I have Project A, Project B. These are our neighbors. Look what Matthew says here. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart. The first thing he starts with is the same thing Peter does. Revere God in your hearts. Love God with your whole heart. Because here's the thing. When we have prepared to give a defense, what are we giving a defense of? Someone that we love. If you come and talk about something I love, I can talk about it pretty educatedly, but if you come and ask me about someone I love, I can talk about it more deeply than anything possible. If you ask me about one of my sons or my daughter, I can tell you deeply and passionately about her. The same should be true about our God in Jesus. We should love him in such a way that our defense is not of arguments, but our defense is of the person in Jesus that we love and we know that he loves us. And what should that love do? It should, we should love him with our whole heart, with our whole soul and whole mind, holistic of who we are. That is the first and great commandment. And second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. That in this verse, we see this vertical love, our love towards God and God's love down to us. We should transform us into a vertical love to our neighbors. This horizontal and vertical, it looks like the cross because it should be like the cross. That we should live transformed by the cross with this horizontal love and this horizontal love to our neighbors. And the reason he says love your neighbor as yourself because picture you were in their shoes. How would you want to be loved? How would you want to be reached out? How would you want to be cared for if you were them and go and do that thing? That we should love our neighbors as ourselves. And then finally it says, give the reason for the hope. In this verse, let me start from the beginning. It says, but revere your hearts. Christ is Lord, always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Give the reason for the hope that you have. Because one of the, the greatest sparks to the gospel is hope. Because even if they're not ready to receive the gospel, I would argue that every single person on this planet is an archaeologist of hope. And what I mean by that, who is the greatest archaeologist ever? Who is it? Greatest archaeologist ever. Come on, anyone. Indiana Jones, that's not a real person. It's Howard Carter, he discovered King... No, it is Indiana Jones. Um, But but the idea is when we think about archaeology, we think about this huge find of the Holy Grail or these hidden cities, but that's not archaeology at all. That hardly ever happens. When archaeology, you most of the time find a spoon or a bullet, you find these little things. But what those little things do is spurs on and lights the fire for more things. People are archeologists of hope. They are looking for some type of hope. And it says, give the reason for your hope. And sometimes hope is really small, but that's all it takes. I don't know if you've seen the new show, Rings of Power. This is not a spoiler, but it is a quote. uh, And it really stood out to me when I was watching it. It's the Lord of the Rings show. uh, And listen to this quote. Somebody says, are we going to base everything on just a mere hope? And listen to this response because I think it articulates what we're talking about in this, this giving hope. It says, hope is never mere, even when it's meager. When all other senses sleep, the eye of hope is first to awaken and last to shut. Because as people are archaeologists of hope and looking for hope, they're always looking for some reason. And maybe, just maybe, in the way we live our life and the way we love our neighbor, we are helping them find hope. And then when that tragedy does come in their life or they get to a place where they realize they're in a bad situation, we know that there's certain hitch points where people are more open to the gospel, whether it be a death in the family, tragedy, marriage, baby, whatever it is. There's moments to where hopefully when those moments come, they see our front door and they see it as a haven of hope because of the way we lived our life. Next thing I want you to see is this, that gardening always precedes the harvest. That gardening always precedes the harvest. What I mean by that is, often we think we want to share the gospel and we think they're gonna to come to Christ in this moment and that may not be the case. If, you're, if we were going to go farm together, I'm not a farmer, but I know enough to be dangerous, that for you to prepare the land, it takes a lot of gardening and toiling. You can't just plant the seed and see the plants the next day. It takes a lot of work and investing in the soil, and that's what God's calling us to do, to be gardeners. To be the ones who toil in the soil, in, but in the lives of other people. To keep gardening these relationships, these long-term investments in people, and let God do the work. Because God calls us to be faithful, and he takes care of the fruitful. He's calling us to be faithful, but he takes care of the faithful, the fruit. But we may never even see the fruit. It may be like me, maybe a decade in advance before the seed takes plant. There was a story recently of these archaeologists, funny. They find this seed in an ancient Israel city. They find a seed it's 2,000 years old. It's laying on the ground. It hasn't taken root. They take it, It's a palm seed. They put it in fertile soil, they water it. You know what happened? That 2,000-year- old seed grew. There is no seed that's planted that has been too far since they've heard the gospel. It may be your neighbor. Somebody planted the seed long ago, and you're just there to water and garden. But God is the one who brings the fruit. The last thing I want to say is this. Keep showing up in the lives of unbelievers. The best way to garden these relationships is keep showing up in the lives of unbelievers. For the people who aren't believers in their life, just keep showing up. Be the gospel to them. My neighbor was recently, I had a son who was recently sick, and I, we've been talking about different things, and he, his son was sick, and we all signed a card, and we just showed up and, and gave him a gift card. We know he loves playing uh, Fortnite. We gave him a Fortnite gift card, and we just want to keep showing up in the lives of unbelievers, not because we have to, but because we get to. And how do we keep showing up in the lives of unbelievers? It says in this last Part of this verse, it says, when we share this answer, we should do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect, that as we are sharing, and we're talking more of this in the Inform week, that when we're sharing the gospel, when we're sharing who we are, we don't do it with harshness. We don't do it with uh, disrespect. We want to be able to understand the people around us. Because it's a lot different presenting the gospel to an atheist neighbor if you ask the atheist neighbor, Hey, tell me about your story. Tell me how you came to be an atheist. I'd love to understand what it is you believe. That's a lot more fertile soil than saying you're wrong and you're going to hell. It may get to that moment, but as we're gardening, that's the moments where we're just learning and seeking to respond with gentleness and respect. Because at the end of the day, we have to remember, we're not trying to win arguments. We are trying to win hearts. As the Lord won ours, and he calls us to win others. And at the end of the day, my greatest challenge from all of this is this. I wouldn't be here today unless people in my small circle invested in me. That God, before the beginning of time, knew that family would be in my circle. And that maybe, just maybe, you have somebody in your life that God put there for a reason. And you investing now could be a future pastor, could be a future missionary, but even more than that, it could just be a faithful follower of Christ because your obedience to share the gospel and invest in the people God put in your life.
0: That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History Parenting Podcast Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app or follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful you spent some time with us today. See you next time.